It's dark. <laughs> we live in a dark world. There is darkness all around us. There are wars and rumors of wars throughout the whole earth. Ukraine, Afghanistan, Ethiopia, South Sudan. In many parts of the world, especially here in the United States, even right here in Michigan, there is a war against the unborn. Life in the womb is taken as a matter of personal choice. Life holds little value. That is darkness. In city after city, crime is increasing. People are using violence to get their own way, even to express themselves. There's an escalation of anti-Semitic, anti-black, anti-Asian rhetoric and violence. That is darkness. There are corrupt politicians and business leaders who promote unjust laws and seek profit at all cost. That is darkness. That's a bit of the darkness that's in the world all around us. But what of the darkness that's in us, in you and in me? We seek to fulfill our own cravings and desires on our own. We give in to food, sex, pleasure, and comfort. That is the darkness in us. Often we seek affirmation and validation apart from God. We want people to like us, so we do or we say whatever is necessary to get people to like us or affirm us. That is darkness in us. Other times we desire power, influence, and success, maybe even to accomplish good, but often it leads to our own corruption. That is darkness in each of us. Do you feel your darkness? We live in a dark world. There is darkness all around us, and there is darkness within each of us. And the darkness can be such a burden. It can be such a weight. The darkness can be overwhelming. It can also be confusing and even scary. We wonder in the darkness which way we should turn, which way we should go. 
it's often hard to see the right path. What am I to do next? What decision should I make? The burden, the weight, the overwhelming nature of darkness. Do you feel the darkness? But there is a light. With light, I can see. With light, I know which way to turn. With light, I know what to do next. With light, I can see myself around the platform so I don't fall off. With light, the burden is lifted. With light, the weight is taken away. With light, the fear is gone. With light, there is freedom. Jesus is that light. Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Light always overcomes darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the, yes, he is the one. He is the one who takes away the burden. He is the one who lifts the weight. He is the one who makes life bearable, doable, so it is not overwhelming. Jesus is the one who gives freedom. Jesus is the light of the world. And this morning, Matthew introduces Jesus to you and to me as a great light. So if you would, would you take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. We're continuing our study in the book of Matthew. We're on page 785. Please grab a Bible, follow along, open up your device, turn it on. Do not check texts. Follow along, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Up until this point in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus has not yet preached, nor has he performed any miracles. We have seen much in the gospel of Matthew that points to Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world. We've also seen that he is the king and that we are not. But even though Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior and the King, he submits to the will of God the Father and is baptized. And then he overcomes temptation. And it's sometime after his baptism and his temptation that his preaching ministry begins. Now Matthew skips some interesting parts of Jesus' ministry. They're recorded in the Gospel of John. Matthew skips the wedding at Cana. He skips the first clearing of the temple. He skips the conversation with Nicodemus. And he skips Jesus' trip into Samaria. Matthew starts with Jesus in Galilee. 
and starts with his preaching ministry here in Matthew chapter 4. And it is here that Matthew introduces Jesus to us as a great light. Matthew chapter 4, begin verse 12. Follow along as I read. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This morning, there are three things that I would like us to see from this text. I am not going to share all three of them with you right now so that you will keep paying attention throughout the rest of the sermon. But we keep in mind, we're going to look for three things. The first thing this morning that we are going to see is that Jesus's timing is perfect. Jesus's timing is perfect. Now, we know that this timing issue is important to Matthew because it's the way he starts out this passage. Look at verse 12 again. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Matthew here tells us that John the Baptist had imprisoned and then, been imprisoned, and then Jesus moved from Nazareth to Capernaum. Now think about this. John, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, was imprisoned. He's put in prison. This is the one who is sent to prepare the way for Jesus. This is the person who baptized Jesus. This is the person who Jesus says is greater than any other person ever born. John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is thrown into prison. He's thrown into prison for showing the right, the darkness that's in Herod's heart. So Herod throws John the Baptist into prison. Now I wonder, I wonder if we were there, what would we think? What would we think about John the Baptist being thrown into prison? We, if we were there, living in the first century, would have likely heard about John the Baptist, about preaching in the wilderness, about this guy wearing funny clothes, proclaiming the coming of the Messiah. You may even have went and heard him preach in person, and you heard the powerful words. You may even have been baptized by John the Baptist. And then he's thrown into prison. What would you have thought? What would I have thought? I can imagine what we would have thought. I can imagine we probably would have went to God and like, what are you doing? Like, God, what are you thinking? John the Baptist, the greatest man ever born, is now in prison. What's going on? Why? Why all the darkness? But then Jesus, at the perfect time, came to shine his light in the darkness. 
You see, Jesus' timing here is perfect. And it's perfect because now Jesus is able to begin his preaching ministry. For all intents and purposes, John's ministry is now over. He is in prison and he is eventually going to be martyred. But John faithfully finished the task that God had given him to do. He faithfully paved the way for Jesus. He prepared the way for the coming Messiah. He prepared the way for the light. He did exactly what God asked of him. He prepared the way for Jesus. John himself said, Jesus must become greater and I must become less. And Jesus, that great light, enters the scene because John is no longer on the scene. Jesus' timing is perfect. And my friends, this is so important for you and for me this morning. When we are faced with darkness, whether it's the darkness in the world all around us or it's the darkness that is within us, when we are faced with that darkness that can be so discouraging, that can be such a burden, that can be such a weight, that can be overwhelming, that can be confusing, that can even be scary. When we are faced with darkness, we need to remember that Jesus' timing is perfect because there is no darkness that is going to stop Jesus. Not war, not abortion on demand, not violence, not the increase of crime, not corruption. There is no darkness that can stop Jesus. His timing is perfect perfect. Jesus knew exactly when John the Baptist was going to be thrown in prison. Jesus knew exactly when he was going to withdraw from to Galilee. And the reason he knew is because he wrote it down before the foundation of this world. He knew exactly and his timing was perfect. And my friend, his timing is perfect today. You may be sitting here this morning, you may be watching online, and this today, this moment right here, right now, is an appointed time from God in your life. His timing is perfect. Today may be an appointed time for you because Jesus is God and he is in control of all things. Which leads us to our second point. Are you ready for the second point? Jesus' plan is brilliant. Jesus' plan is brilliant. And this brilliant plan includes a very specific place, a very dark place. We read that Jesus withdrew to Galilee. Now let's continue to read in verse 13. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. We read that Jesus moved from Galilee or moved to Galilee, moved to Capernaum in the fulfillment of prophecy. This is another confirmation from Matthew that Jesus is the Messiah. But there's more here. 
Jesus moves to a land that was very dark. He moves to the town of Capernaum in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, a place here that is referred to as the Galilee of the Gentiles. You see, from ancient times, this had been a very dark place in Israel. It's called the land of Zebulun and Naphtali because the land was originally given to the two tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali. But against God's command, against God's instruction, those two tribes refused to remove the Canaanites from that land. The Canaanites were a wicked and idolatrous people who engaged in child sacrifice and God instructed those tribes, you move them out. The tribes disobeyed. The Canaanites remained and the Canaanites began to slowly but surely influence the people of God, the Jews, the Israelites in that area toward wickedness and toward idolatry. As a result, in the 8th century BC, God sends the Assyrians to conquer those people. And many of the Jews are taken to Assyria. Assyria then repopulates the area with Assyrians and other non-Jews. That's why this area is referred to as the Galilee of the Gentiles. So in this area, at the time of Jesus, there are Jews that are there. But there are also many Gentiles present as well. There's still a good degree of wickedness and idolatry. It's why often this area of Galilee, it's often said in the Bible that nothing good comes out of Galilee. You may have heard that said, nothing good comes out of Galilee. That's because the Jews in the south frowned upon or looked down upon the people who were in the Galilee, the region of Galilee, and particularly in the city of Capernaum. So Jesus' plan includes going to a very dark place, but there's more to his plan. There's more involved here. Not only is it a dark place, the Galilee is said to include a certain type of people. Typically, people who were favorable to hearing new ideas. Listen to what Josephus says. Josephus is a first century historian. Listen to how he describes first century Galileans. They were ever fond of innovations, and by nature disposed to changes and delighted in seditions. So not only does Jesus choose a very dark place, he chooses a fertile field as well, a place where people are going to be willing to listen to what Jesus has to say. And then finally, there's another thing or another rationale or reason why Jesus chooses, I think. Look at verse 15. Verse 15 says, refers to the way of the sea. Do you see that there? The way of the sea is a reference to one of the main highways in the Holy Land. One of the main highways in Palestine is the way of the sea. It goes from Damascus through Galilee and down into Egypt. Do you see what Jesus has done here? His plan is brilliant. He goes to a very dark place because great light shines brighter in a dark place. He then picks a place and a people who are open to hearing what he has to say. 
And finally, he picks a place where many major roads of the ancient world actually go through so that that message can be spread throughout the whole world. His plan is brilliant. But do you see what he's doing here? Do you really see? Because what he's doing ultimately here is he is demonstrating his compassion. He is demonstrating his compassion to this dark world. He, as the great light, is entering into this dark world to shine brightly in this darkness. He's showing his compassion. He's showing his mercy. He's showing his love to these people in Galilee, in the city of Capernaum, in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now, if it were you and me, we would have probably said, you know what? I don't think you ought to go up to Galilee. Nope. You need to go to Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem, that's the center of everything. It's the center of power. It's the center of government. Where's all the money? The money's in Jerusalem. The ability to influence the masses. Go to Jerusalem. Convince those people. And when you convince those people, then... You see, Jesus doesn't do what we often think he should do. Jesus goes to where it's dark, to where people are willing to listen, to where the message will easily be spread. And he does it with compassion and mercy and love for the people in Galilee. He does it differently than we would do it. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is the Tom paraphrase. God has made foolish the wisdom of this world. God chooses the foolish things to shame the wise. He chooses the lowly things of this world and the despised things of this world. God chooses the lowly. God chooses the meek. God chooses the humble. Are you willing to humble yourself this morning? Are you willing to humble yourself to see that Jesus' timing is perfect? Are you willing to humble yourself to see that Jesus' plan is brilliant? Are you willing to humble yourself to listen to what God has to say to you this morning. Jesus' timing is perfect. Jesus' plan is brilliant. And third, and most importantly, Jesus' message is essential. Jesus' message is essential. Now, there are many first words that Jesus could have chosen to begin his preaching ministry. He chose the words in verse 17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. He spoke these words to first century Galileans and he is speaking the exact same words to you and to me this morning. 
And please notice that this is not a suggestion. Notice that this is not an option. This is a divine command presented in the imperative. Do this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. In the midst of first century Galilee, there was darkness. There was darkness all around the people, and there was darkness within the people. In 21st century Grand Rapids, Michigan, Calvary Church, there is darkness within us, within you, and within me. And the issue becomes light and dark do not mix. They cannot coexist. They do not go together. You are either light or you are darkness. So Jesus comes with this command to you and to me, and he says, repent. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. Repent is turning away from your sin, turning away from your opposition to God, turning away from your rebellion against God, and turning to him through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, there are many definitions for repentance, but it's important for us to understand exactly what Jesus means by repentance. Following me? Repentance does, just does not mean sorrow. It doesn't mean, hey, I'm sorry for what I did. Please forgive me. Now can I go on? That is what the, is referred to as worldly sorrow. That is not what Jesus is talking about here. True repentance has three elements. There are three elements to true repentance. The first element to true repentance, if you want to repent, if you want to follow the command of Jesus himself and repent, three elements. The first element is contrition. We have to be contrite and express contrition, which means a deep, deep sorrow and commitment and desire to turn away from our sin. It is a deep sorrow in contrast to worldly sorrow. Listen to this from the Apostle Paul. Listen to what he writes in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. You see, the motives for one's grief is so important here. Godly sorrow is motivated by my love of God. My godly sorrow is motivated by the fact that I am a sinner and my sin actually offends God. My sin actually causes God pain. And because of the pain that I am causing God, I have a deep sorrow and a desire to turn away from that sin. That is contrition. The first element of repentance is contrition. The second element of repentance is open confession of sin open confession of sin. One needs to recognize in the depths of their being, able to say, I am a sinner. 
I've missed the mark and I need to confess that sin before the God who loves me so deeply, the God who I've hurt. So I openly confess that sin. Look what it says in 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That is a perfect point for an amen. Thank you. If we claimed we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. I have a list for you. This is what open confession of sin means. Open confession of sin means no denial, no covering out of shame or fear of punishment, no excusing or trivializing, no shifting of responsibility elsewhere, and no whining in arguing with or blaming God for the failures or mistakes. It means bending the knee at the foot of the cross and confessing sin to Jesus. Repentance includes contrition, includes open confession of sin, and finally, repentance includes restitution. Repentance requires restitution. It's not just saying I'm sorry and then moving on to the next day. It requires restitution, which is a broad concept that can also be defined as a transformation of life. You actually need to be different and your difference will cause you to right the wrong or fix the harm that you have caused insofar as that repair is possible. That is restitution. Look what John said earlier in the book of Matthew. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And look what Paul says in Acts 26, verse 20. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. Repentance requires Repentance requires contrition, open confession of sin, and it also requires restitution. And restitution has three elements as well because most people don't think about restitution as being part of repentance. Restitution requires that you apologize. It requires that you not only apologize to God because your sin is primarily against him, it means you go and you apologize to the person that you've offended. It also means that you provide reparations. It means you make right the wrong that you have committed. This means if you have stolen money, you should work towards repaying that money. It means that if you are divorced and you have a divorce decree, you probably should go above and beyond that divorce decree to witness and minister and care for your ex-spouse. That is reparation. Restitution requires 
reparations. Apology, reparation, and then finally an amendment of life. You need to turn away from that sin and move 180 degrees in the opposite direction towards Jesus. Repentance. Repentance requires contrition, open confession of sin, and restitution. Amen? Amen. Jesus' timing is perfect. Jesus' plan is brilliant. And Jesus' message is essential. It was perfect, brilliant, and essential 2,000 years ago. And it is perfect, brilliant, and essential today. And the message to you and to me this morning is the same message that Jesus first preached to those Galileans 2,000 years ago. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. Jesus is this great light that has entered into this place. He is here this morning, and his words to you and his words to me are repent. Last week, Jim preached a sermon on Jesus' temptation, on how Jesus overcame temptation. And he encouraged us towards overcoming temptation. He identified three temptations that Jesus faced. This past week, I succumbed to all three. I, on my own, sought the cravings and the desires of my heart. I sought affirmation and validation apart from Jesus. And I sought to use power and influence, maybe for good things, but more likely just for my own good. Within days, of hearing a message on overcoming temptation. I failed at all three. Now maybe you had a perfect week. But I guess that there's some of you that tried to meet your own cravings and desires. sought affirmation and validation from somebody other than Jesus. Some of you sought to use your power, your influence, and your money, maybe for good things, but probably just for yourself. Within one week, (laughs) my friends, Jesus' timing is perfect. He's here this morning. He is in this place. And this is an appointed time. It's an appointed time for you 
and for me to meet with Jesus, to do business with him. His plan is brilliant. As much as I'd like to speak to the people in the rest of the United States about all the darkness that's going on, I'm not. I'm speaking to each of you. His plan is not for me to talk to them. His plan is for me to talk to you. Because it starts here, my friends. How do we influence a world when we're not willing to repent ourselves? His timing is perfect. His plan is brilliant. And his message is essential. It's also simple. Repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. The great light that shines in the darkness in the land of the shadow of death. Repent. Andy mentioned earlier that this is a reflection service. So we are going to reflect. I would encourage you to repent. Repent. If you're not sure how, we're going to have some words from the Psalms up on the screen that will help you engage. Engage with those words. Engage with Jesus. After some quiet time focusing on the verses, we're going to sing one song together. A song that speaks of Jesus' mercy. Because all of us are a bit afraid, aren't we? We're a bit afraid of repentance. Because we wonder, how is it that Jesus is really going to receive me? Is he going to receive me with judgment? Is he going to receive me with condemnation? No. Jesus is waiting for you to repent with open arms. To wrap you up in his mercy and in his love. And to give forgiveness. Will you repent?